could I do this if I trained for it? Could my body do this task? And like disclaimer for anyone watching, um, I, I had two knee surgeries when I was younger and I was never, I'm, I've never supposed to been a long distance guy. Like I had an ACL repair, a meniscus repair, but for me, it's like, it's a challenge. It's like, I want to see if I physically can do that. So I, I had to be the 100, it was 100 or nothing. Welcome to the New Leaf Running Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Canning, and that was Liam McVarnick. I met Liam because he approached me to get ready for his first 100-mile race in the Zion National Park. You know, Zion's always been on, on my list of places to go and, and run 100 miles, so I was very keen to help him out with, with this adventure and live a little bit uh, vicariously through his attempt at this 100-mile race. I was immediately impressed with his ability to dream big and his drive to go after his goals. So not unlike my own story, Liam likes to jump into things head first and go after things full steam. But 2020 was not to be his year, and like for most people, his dream race was canceled. So what really caught my attention is how Liam was able to pivot and come up with his own adventure to get out and test his fitness and do something which really mattered to him. So today's conversation is one about per- perseverance. Liam decided he wasn't going to let a pandemic get in his way of running his first 100-mile run. So he came up with his own route from Peggy's Cove to Porta Peak here in Nova Scotia, and he dedicated that run to the victims of the tragic mass shooting which occurred there. I really enjoyed catching up with Liam, and I'm sure that you're going to enjoy this conversation as well. So without further ado, here's today's conversation. Thanks so much for joining me, Liam, on the, the New Leaf podcast. Happy to hear, ha- happy to have you here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to I'm excited to have this chat with you. Awesome, man. Well, congrats so much on uh, on the completion of the big run back back in August. That's quite an accomplishment. Hundred miles, Porta Peak. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Thank you very much. It was a it was a really cool experience, and um, definitely learned a lot from it. And we're excited to get out there and try something like that again in the future. Yeah, and you managed to raise like over over almost twelve thousand dollars for Big Brothers Big Sisters. That's pretty amazing, man. Like that's. It's awesome you're able to tie that into a fundraiser for for a good cause. Yeah, uh, it, especially like when we started with that goal, Rick. We we started fundraising one week before the run, and we we wanted twenty nine hundred. That was the goal. They say so, yeah, you, you guys only started fundraising one week before. You only wanted twenty nine hundred bucks, and you got over like twelve thousand yeah that's crazy man that's crazy yeah it was it was uh it blew our minds the amount of uh people that rallied in yeah all right so i'm thinking before we we dive too far down down this and get into the the big run i want to try and and set the stage a little bit and try and help people learn a little bit about liam liam mcvarnick so um it's basically how how did you get into like athletics? Like, were you, were you always athletic growing up or, or where did you get into sort of health and fitness and like sort of set the story of where this all began for you? 
that's a great question. So I started playing sports when I was three years old. My dad put me in Timbit soccer <laughs> right when I was a baby because he was always a soccer player. Um, so I started with soccer and then growing up, I was the kind of kid that would basically play on every team I could make. Uh, you know, I badminton, football, track. I liked it all. Uh, gym class was my favorite class up until graduation in high school. Yeah. Um, so I've always, I've always loved sports, played very competitively at soccer and football. And then, um, that's kind of what started my fire, I'd say. Okay. Right on. So there's always a little bit of running in there, I guess, with, with, with soccer and football, but you never really went much heavy into the running right, right away. You're more, more in the gym scene and lifting weights, right? Yeah, that's correct. So in high school, like, uh, actually to set the tone even further, which is going to be funny for the audience later is that when I used to play soccer, when I was like 10, 11, 12, they used to make us do dry land and we'd have to actually go running and they would run us basically in drills until someone would basically keel over. And I used to hate the run practices just to set the tone. Like I really disliked the cardio portion. It was always the worst in football practice when they'd run us at the end, despised it. Um, so yeah, I definitely got into weights when I was a teenager and that was my first outside of team sports really like hobby i really got into runners you'll talk to almost all of them will say that at some point they always used to hate running i know myself uh back in the day when we used to do running for cross training for for paddling i hated running i used to try and get out of doing doing the runs as much as possible (laughs) it's funny it's funny we're where all that goes and how things change as, as we sort of get farther into our into our lives. <laughs> so you're really big in like into fitness, like even aside from from running, you're your personal trainer. So how would you describe like health and wellness and how does that like just fit with your day-to-day life and sort of how is that part of your your lifestyle? Um, I, I guess the easiest way to describe it is I kind of built my life at this point around it because it's, pro- it's my favorite thing to do, whether I'm doing something I'm not necessarily good at, but it's a new challenge in, in health and fitness. So something like swimming, for example, terrible swimmer, negatively buoyant, but seeing that progress is really cool. But I, I found a career where I could learn more and more about this every day and I can help people learn what I learned six, seven years ago about, you know, liking your body and eating healthier food. So you have more energy. So for me, I guess the easiest way to describe is I've just built my life around health and wellness. That's not something that that's easy to do. And it can probably be pretty, pretty tempting sometimes, especially when, when you're starting out, I imagine there's lots of forces pulling you in different directions, trying to pull you away from that. Cause it's really hard to, to carve a road carve out a life around something that, I, that you're passionate about, especially when the, the path isn't as straightforward as some of those other career choices out there. So how's that, how's that road been sort of in the last couple of years trying to carve out a life around, around fitness <laughs> and what you're passionate about? Uh, obviously, like anything good, there's, there's waves and there's, um, you know, it's a windy road. It's definitely not a, a two-lane highway. Uh, there's bumps, there's, there's divots, there's, there's everything in between that. But, um, I think if, so 
when I first started as a personal trainer, I had just got home from traveling. I was away for a long time overseas and I was honestly like probably one of the unhealthiest I've ever been. Um, cause I had been in Southeast Asia backpacking in the South of New Zealand. I was living in a van. I was at least doing some hiking there. So that was some health, but then in Europe, I partied my way across Europe. So when it came down to it, like, even though I was working maybe 12 hours a day as a trainer for the first, you know, six months I was there and getting paid for four of those hours or five of those hours, I was learning something new that was very passionate about. So it's like, it didn't feel like work when I was doing those extra hours. So I guess it, the fire alone makes it, made it worth it at the time, but it's better now. It's much more stable now. It's it's awesome when you can sort of hone in and focus on on those sparks like in the beginning and then you can get that fire fire building it's i think the key is in those beginning moments just recognizing like like you said that you were you were working at something that you were passionate about and it didn't bother you to put in the extra work cuz i know with me and and coaching runners like it is always fun to to pick up and dive in and learn more about it and it doesn't feel like work to me so it's seemingly it's probably something that's similar similar to you so although you were doing it as as a job it's like almost sounds like you would probably do it anyways even if you weren't weren't getting paid for it sometimes right so yeah 100 percent. like even with like you know the big run like COVID-19 2020 has been a weird year and (laughs) and you would know Rick because you do races yourself and uh, once everyone's race season's canceled, everyone looks at each other and like, what have they been training for? So that's why we orchestrated this. It just literally was formed in me and my friend's head that both were into Ironmans and we're like, this is crazy. No one would do this. And we're like, or well, well, would they? And then they just, it became a running joke. And then before you know it, we're like, oh, when can we do this? Oh, three weeks. Let's go. That's awesome. And I, I want to dive more, more into that, but I want to. I want to try and dig a little bit more more around the scenes, but I am going to come back and I want to circle back on the the conception of the of the big run. Um, but first, like you, I think you talked there. Some of your friends are, and you yourself were were into Ironmans for a while, right? So how, how did you how did you dive into to Ironmans from from the gym world? Like how did that transition go? Uh so to, to paint the full picture, and I guess we got all the time in the world here. Um, so when I got back, it was June, 2018. I arrived back in Halifax and I, for two or three months, I enjoyed being home. I worked in a bar. I did roofing. It kind of got me back in shape just by carrying stuff all day, but I wasn't actually doing anything crazy physically besides maybe going to the gym a couple of days a week with my friends. But then in September, I actually became a personal trainer and for about a month, two months, I was working these crazy long hours and I was working out like the rest of them, but I wasn't like, I felt like I was missing a challenge or something almost. And at that point I was just on the weird part of YouTube one night and, you know, I was in the related videos and then I watched this, this it, it, little documentary of this guy who trained for this Ironman. And it, once they were explaining like how far you have to swim, how far you have to bike how, and how you have to run all in a row and how much they eat during the week and how much training it takes. It scared the hell out of me, but it also got me really excited. So like, for, like the seed was planted and then like a week later, I watched more videos about it. 
And then suddenly, you know, Instagram starts showing me related posts to this. And then eventually I, one night I was just so excited. I just went on the website to sign up for the race. Didn't own a bike. Could, oh, could barely swim. Wasn't running, but I just, I got so excited. I was like, I'm going to do this. It's going to be my one year challenge. Going down, down that rabbit hole. Once the, the curiosity is sparked and you start learning what's possible for someone else and you just you get that little view into someone that's not all that different from you and they're out swimming that crazy distance and running and biking and you're like i bet that that's probably possible for me it sounds kind of scary and like you say you didn't even own a bike and you're saying earlier you weren't all that good at swimming but hey let, let's go try an ironman sure right yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> biggest, baddest one, I guess. Just uh, hardest part signing up. Yeah, so you, you just dove right into Ironmans. There was no no uh, like Olympic triathlon, half Ironman. You just went straight Ironman. Well, yeah, so basically what I did was it would, would have been October when I signed up. And I signed up for August. It was like August 18th was the triathlon, the, uh, the full Ironman in Quebec. So then I just backtracked everything and then immediately asked around and found a, a triathlon coach and then he recommended i do a half iron man first so then i signed up for a half iron man it would have been at the beginning of june in british columbia and then i signed up for a couple running races before that just to get myself in the habit of like going to the start line of something preparing for something um but yeah I just dove straight in and then immediately got help that's that's actually a really interesting, interesting part that was probably worth uh, diving in a little bit more on. So a lot of people don't think to reach out for help when they take on these crazy tasks, like, like you say, diving and trying to, trying to tackle your first Ironman. So what was going through your head? Like, how did you come to the conclusion that you would have a much greater chance of success? if you're able to get help from somebody that could point you in the right direction? Um, it'd probably be two things. So one, I was just starting a career where I was preaching every day that people need a plan if they're going to get where they want to go. And I was seeing firsthand for some people that this was very true and that the people that had a plan versus who didn't were getting tangibly measurable, better results. And on the second side of that, I went to Centennial Pool for a swim and I got maybe 25 meters or 50 meters, like one, one lane, short, short course, gasping on the side, did like three or four more, felt defeated, got up, left. And I was like, man, I just did like 200 meters with breaks and I'm supposed to swim 4K in a row and then go for another 14 hours of cardio. Uh-uh. I need some assistance. <laughs> yeah. So you, you saw firsthand from your own clients what sort of a guiding hand can do to help really catapult progress. And you identified that you had a huge gap that you needed to make up in a pretty short amount of time, right? You say barely able to swim a couple laps of the pool and yeah, you kind of take on an Ironman swim. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's awesome. 
So you you signed up. You said it was October, and you were doing yeah. it in in August. So at least you gave yourself a pretty pretty good amount of time, but still, this, no short order for someone taking on the other first triathlon. Didn't own a bike, couldn't swim a couple laps of the pool. So how would you describe like that sort of getting into that that whole experience and taking that on, and then ultimately yeah, completing that that first Ironman? Uh. It was terrifying, but exciting. So it's like, I knew it was going to be by far the biggest challenge I'd ever done. Like I, I actually, to be a hundred percent honest with you, Rick, I could not picture myself possibly finishing that thing when I first signed up. I didn't think there was, I didn't think it was possible, but I, I thought if I trained for it, I could. So it's like, I just wanted to see like, okay, if I train for the full year, can I actually do this thing? Cause it's absolutely insane what these people are doing. And the average person, like, I'm not a skinny guy. I, as we talked about, I lift weights. I'm, a, I'm heavier than most of these triathletes are. I didn't want to lose a bunch of weight for this race. I still wanted to finish it as me. Like, I wanted, I told my coach two things. One, I want to finish. Two, I want to keep my biceps. <laughs> so You want to become the skinny was, runner guy. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I wanted to do their challenge, but I didn't want to become a triathlete. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And so when, when you finished... And after you you took on a challenge of this magnitude, like quite evidently, you, you thought it was it was worth it, like in the end, because you you went on and you decided to to go even further down the rabbit hole and get into ultras. But what what about that challenge sort of kept that curiosity burning? Like, what what made you want to push further? As crazy as that sounds, pushing further than than Iron Man. Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I feel like I might get another answer later, and I'll be like, oh, I should have told Rick that. Oh, uh, that's all right. But yeah, but I think for me, it was like with the Iron Man, it was such a stupidly crazy challenge. But then something crazy happened along the way that I ended up loving the discipline of like looking at my phone every week and like looking at my training peaks calendar and seeing like. 15 workouts and just like laughing in my head, like who else is doing this? Like, or like having, cl- having clients at like 7am and I'm about to go for a personal best run of 35 kilometers. I can't do it any time of the day. So it's like setting my alarm for like 2:45 in the morning or 3am. And I'm like, Oh, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? So like those little moments. And I like, I'll look in a little video on my phone as I'm going through like the time-lapse and I'm just like, wow, that was such an exciting time that I wanted that feeling of that scary preparation again. So then I was like, what was the next logical step forward? And for me, it was the ultra world, as you mentioned. I think that's actually a really awesome way that you put it, because it sounds like it became a lot more about falling in love with training for the Ironman than the actual, how much the Ironman like meant on its own, like, you say you, you fell in love with the with the training, the discipline, the getting up, the doing crazy things that nobody else was doing at dark o'clock in the morning. So, like race or no race, like that that was lighting that was lighting you up, right? A hundred percent. Like there'd be so many mornings where like they'd be so flipped. Like with picture seven days in a week, three mornings I'd wake up and I'd jump out of bed without my alarm and I'd start executing my morning to do list. And then the other three, I'd wake up and like stare at my shoes for like 15 minutes to half an hour. And just like, I cannot go for a run right now. It's so cold. It's like February or like 
whatever it is like you're like mentally splintering like i cannot go to this dark pool right now like like i, I could sleep in today and do it later and like it's just this inner like fight good versus bad oh, so i like, i understand that completely and i'm sure a few people that are tuning in can understand that too but that it's it's a never-ending battle between i can do it later why am i getting up at 4 30 in the morning to go and crush this workout outside when it's minus 20 i could just sleep in but you you know if you sleep in that you're just going to be disappointed with yourself and you're not going to have yeah. time to do it later because like everybody else you got things to do like you got clients that you need to go and help and it's just, later never comes that's so, true so how so i think it's really important is that you're able to prioritize and even in the moment when you don't necessarily want to get out and do the workout you're driven because that ultimate goal of completing that Ironman is important to you right yeah I think you're correct and also to tie back in the finishing touches to why I got a coach it's also like it's no longer just me like this there's a man with a plan behind the scenes or a woman with a plan who has more insight than I do on the broad like the nine-month goal not just like that that week so like I may think it's okay if I was in charge to skip that workout, just do it next week. But they might know that that's a pivotal workout. And if I don't do it, I'm going to have to answer to my coach. So that's another reason I love it is because like you're building a team around you now. So it's no longer just you anymore. You don't have to solely think about it. All the pressure is no longer on your shoulders. Exactly. And you, you have a sounding board to bounce some of these decisions and things off of were left to your own devices like you say you might be biased and feeling like you want to skip a workout or you want to push harder and do a really big training training workout and it might not be the best idea but you got somebody in your corner that that can help you make those decisions and you know they have your best interests at heart with without all your your bias and ego behind it right so 100 percent. so i think it's a must and that feeling of the how you feel the morning, like in the morning after you do something versus after you don't do it. Once you get a taste of those different feelings, you get obsessed with the first one because doing stuff you said you're going to do, you just build on these little wins. And it, it is hard, harder in the beginning when, when you don't have the, the momentum behind you. Sometimes you're, you're waiting for, for that feeling before you start. But really, you need a couple wins in your corner to get a taste of what that feels like to keep you coming back for more. And I think that's really important to, to understand, right? Definitely. Yeah. So the next chapter is where I come into the picture. And I guess full disclosure, I was working with, with Liam, helping him train for the Zion 100, which eventually got, got canceled. Um, so I was Liam's coach for that. But not not for the big run. That was all Liam Liam's doing, all Liam's concoction, and that was all done on his own. But I had a a little little part in helping him get ready for that. Um, so, how did you decide to to step into ultras, and not only just into ultras? You decided I'm going to do a hundred miler. So it's it's not even dip your toe in. You're just going to jump right off the cliff, right? <laughs> Hundred <laughs> um, percent. So I think it's the same kind of philosophy I had with the Ironman. Is 
I became infatuated with at the start, the distance, because a hundred miles seemed literally impossible to me. But then the more I got into it, the more I found out these famous races like the Western States or Ultra Mont Blanc or like uh, Hard Rock 100, Leadville 100, like all these iconic 100s. And I watched these videos in the weird part of YouTube again. And it just in my head, I'm like, I couldn't imagine how these people feel crossing that last mountain peak or when they're like the nighttime hits. And I got obsessed with like, again, could I do this? If I trained for it, could my body do this task? And like disclaimer for anyone watching, um, I, I had two knee surgeries when I was younger and I was never, I'm, I've never supposed to have been a long distance guy. Like I had an ACL repair, a meniscus repair, but for me, it's like, it's a challenge. It's like, I want to see if I physically can do that. So I, I had to be the 100. It was 100 or nothing. That's amazing. And it's just a testament that when sometimes even when you're not set up for success and you have the, the cards stacked against you, you say knee surgeries, meniscus repairs and, and all of that stuff, you don't let that stop you from something that's piqued your, your curiosity, something that you've deemed worthwhile. You're going to go and try it. You're not going to take somebody's word for it that it's not a good idea. You can go see for yourself. A hundred percent. Yeah, you're correct on that. That's awesome, man. So, uh, so training for hundred miler versus training for triathlon. How would you sort of describe? Like, what what's the main differences there? Like, how would how do you like time commitments and everything else aside? Like. What do you think the main main differences are between those two? Um, I think for me, the main difference was, uh, well, well, obviously, to make it simple at the start, one is three sports in one and one is just one sport. So you go from doing, you know, if I'm going to include foam rolling and mobility as like a fourth activity, because it definitely was, you're doing anywhere in, in peak time, like 15 things in a week to and less peak time maybe like seven or eight things in a week but you go from like going it's a weird feeling rick going waking up at 5 a.m going for your you know 8k morning run and then getting home eating then going to the pool getting your morning laps and going to work and then the middle of your day having to do like an rpm class because you don't own a bike yet so you've got to do spin class at work uh, but versus ultra it's like okay like let's say I look at the program from you and you're like, all right, Liam, you need to go run around in the woods for four hours this weekend or five hours. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get this much, this much like time on your feet and this much vertical we're going to go for. It's just, it's, uh, I guess it's simpler, but it's also not because you still need to go put that time in, in the Hills That's and a, no one's going to do it for you. A, yeah. There is, there is a few variable. Like, there, there's some variables removed for sure but there's different variables introduced. Like, yeah, you, you remove the complexity of not having to get to the pool. Like you said, yeah, get, get in out for a run and hop it in for laps of the pool before you even go to work. Like that's two different venues right there. But like yeah. I say, it's a little simpler. You just need to go out to the woods. But then how did you find having to learn and dive into new things like being out in the elements for hours and hours, being worried about having to run in the dark, having to like you, you at least you had the feeling component a little bit started because Ironman's a pretty long event. And then yeah. trying to train for 
the elements in Utah, like elevation and the vertical ascending, like that's that's a bit of a task trying to to mirror that here in in Nova Scotia. So how how do how are you feeling about that that aspect of things? You know what, you're you're very right because one thing that's very different from Ultra Marathon Ironman is Ironman's a big company that's got everything planned out in the race. Everything you need is basically provided for you. But you're right. If you're going to go for a five-hour training run, you're no longer just thinking about the workout. You're thinking, when I need to go to this trail, wherever it is, normally outside of the city, X amount of kilometers away, then you need enough water, food, an emergency layer. You need all these different things with you. Um, and then if you know you run too hard, then you get hot, then you cool down, then you need a warm layer because you've just sweat so much. Um, so you're right. It was, I guess it was, uh, like before it's like, it's exciting because it's scary and it's new, but again, that's why it's nice to have a coach. Cause then when you have these questions, you don't have to spend a bunch of time doing this. You can literally just say, Hey, I was thinking about this. What do you think? And then you get instant feedback from someone that knows. Yeah, really. Like that's that's one thing I find too, and I have a coach myself um, for for my for my training as well. And that is one thing that I find invaluable is how much how much time it it saves you, and how much worrying it takes out of the equation because you know that you have you have trusted advice, right? Yeah. Awesome. So I remember like. All this was going down, and we were getting pretty close to Zion. I had just driven across the the country to go to, yeah. to go hang out in Arizona and, and Southern California, and uh, we were chatting. Uh, I was on the road, and we found out Zion was was canceled. Yeah, and that is just, just heartbreaking. You've been putting in months of months of training. It was coming together, and and Zion was canceled. Good. Thank you, COVID. Not only Zion yeah. canceled, I had to turn around and drive all the way back across the country. I got to spend one <sighs> one day, one day yeah. at Joshua Tree National Park, and we turned around yeah. and drove home. <laughs> That's a story for another day. Yeah. So what's what's going through your mind when when this hundred miler that you've been dumping your your heart and soul in like you say you get obsessed about the training and you're dreaming about lining up on that start line and going to zion this beautiful park that people dream about going to and you're going to spend 24 plus hours of running through dreamland and that's just taken away uh i think you feel like everyone else felt on earth you know a little bit at the start, scared because, you know, most of us haven't lived through a proper pandemic before, you know, not very many people were alive with the Spanish flu, SARS wasn't this scary, or I was too young to even remember, like, how bad it could have been, I'm not sure, but obviously scared, then kind of frustrated, like the stages of grief almost, but then at some point, you realize that everyone's inconvenienced, and some people have it worse than others, so then you kind of need to drop this drop the ego a bit and realize that you know no one asked for this but all you can do is make the best of the situation you have um but it definitely is a you know a, a kick in the gut when you all the work you've poured in suddenly is poof gone yeah and like you say you, you almost like it, it seems like a big word to say but you almost have to mourn mourn the loss of that because when, when you dump so much time into something like that like that 
becomes a part of you and then then it's gone yeah yeah literally like i for example like i like i like visual um reminders when i'm like doing something so my old room i was in the same apartment but it was a different room but I, i had french doors and on the whole back side of the doors rick it would look it would be scary if it wasn't something about triathlon if someone just walked in and seen that and didn't know context occurred to me they'd be like this guy's not right but like literally arrows pointing to directions, like 50 photos, all these different like course maps, pictures of the area. Like I would sit there in the morning and drink my coffee and like close my eyes sometimes and just like picture being there. Like, so then when I was doing the same kind of thing for Zion and then suddenly it's gone, it's like all these morning rituals, all these things, it's just poof. What was it for? Right. Yeah. And I, I understand being yeah someone from the, the ultra world as well. Like my, when I'm training for a big race, like a hundred miler, like my workspace is got the course map. It's got the course description, like anything that I can have that I, if I have a few spare minutes at work, I have it like all the visuals are just up there so I can be absorbing that. So you need to think about it less, less during the race. And that just, so I, I understand that <laughs> the, the, the depressing part of pulling that down yeah. and not having, not having a, accomplished the goal. So yeah, dealing with COVID and the race has been, been canceled. I'm guessing like most of the world, things probably took a bit of a standstill for you for a little bit with, with training, just processing what was going on. Like, how did that look for you in, in the weeks following, I guess, Zion being canceled? Uh, probably like a lot of people, like my routine shattered like a glass vase. Like it was just, I almost went back to my old habits of just doing whatever I felt like doing that day for workouts. So everyone's doing home workouts. So luckily I had a kettlebell, but I was doing more weights. I'd go for sporadic runs. I'd skip running workouts, which normally I try not to do. So for at least four weeks it was inconsistent and very unguided because I didn't have that like lighthouse guiding light towards my my goal anymore yeah Yeah. so where in amongst all this chaos and then did the idea for a run from Peggy's Cove to to Porta Peak enter enter the equation um so I kind of forgot about how excited I was about the goal. So COVID hit when? So let's get our timeline. So March 15th or so, the world kind of ended. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so probably from March until April, April until May, May until June, probably all inconsistent home workouts, training for nothing in particular. And then in June, I remember – a gym gyms were allowed to open on like the fourth I think it was and good lives weren't open yet so I was still off work but I started training at a local gym in Dartmouth called Prime Strength and I started doing like a bunch of like fun strong man I was power lifting uh I was doing all those things but then I one day again I, I think I was on the weird part of YouTube that's where it always starts for me and I re-watched maybe it was a video of like Courtney DeWalter it might have been her interview with Joe Rogan uh, cause she, cause she's just not even human. Um, but then I still thought about like, okay, well I could still do a hundred miler, 
like no one's you don't need a course map or like a medal to do a hundred miler which which so then, sounds kind of crazy but i totally understand because i've done that before so <laughs> yeah so I'm I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about this. I'm like Googling it sometime when I'm at work and stuff. And I worked with a guy who ended up being my pacer in the run who did the Ironman the same year as me at the same event, but we didn't know each other. So we're very similar with like what we like to do in our hobbies and we're both crazy. So when we talk to each other, it's like our ideas aren't crazy, but if we talk to a regular person and we're like, yeah, we're planning this 24 hour run. It's going to be so fun. They think we're crazy. So we're just kind of getting each other excited about it. And then suddenly I just go into Google maps. I'm like punching distances, trying to find 160 kilometers somewhere in Nova Scotia. And in the back of my head, I was like, okay, we could, we can make this fun and get people excited. So like we should start at like Peggy's Cove, maybe because everyone knows Peggy's Cove. It's like the postcard image of Nova Scotia. So then I looked at where could we run from there? And I know it's it's sad and, you know, we, Nova Scotia had a tough year overall, but this was still fresh wounds from what happened in Port of Peak, which is just t- like sickening to think that this, that could happen. So we're somewhere so close when we normally picture these things as like, oh, it's in America. Oh, it's far away. So just to set the scene on that a little bit, just in case for some reason somebody happens to be listening who's who's not from from Nova Scotia or is not familiar with that is around this time we had the worst mass shooting in in Canadian history in the small town of of Port-a-Peak and is absolutely tragic and to be happening at the same time as as covid like that's just, it's a ton of loss for everyone in the province and in the country even so yeah so once i put that into the map i seen it was like 176 and i was like and then in my head you can probably maybe resonate with this but i was like i'm already running 160 what's another 16 and and truth be told some of these quote unquote 100 mile races they're not exactly 100 miles anyways so you, you could be running 165 167 whatever kilometers like they say 100 miles so doing something like that is not all that sort of off book i'd say for for a hundred miler so it just it seems like it was is just more or less meant to be and it gave the run gave the run meaning right so. yeah a hundred percent so then once once i found that okay that could work then we started I started like literally dropping the little man on Google in these spots, like where, what's here, what's here. And then we started trying to see like, where could we, where could we have the guys waiting for us in a car? Who could we have in the car? Who's going to pace me? And then you start asking all these, these questions. So then we realized that once I talked to a couple of people that were interested in being a crew, they said, what are you going to fundraise? And that was like, Oh, good point. I didn't even think about that. So then suddenly all these things come into play at once. And we knew that Peggy's Cove to Port of Peak, it just, for this run was for Nova Scotia, honestly. Like, Nova Scotians would understand it. No one else maybe would. But for me, it felt important that those were the, the starting and finishing points. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, so 
we'll, we'll touch back on the the fundraising in a little little bit but i'm kind of i'm interested in so you have the the start point you have the end point i'm guessing you want to avoid like major highways and things like that as as much as possible you want crew access how do you how long did it take you to to plan that route like how did you like you say google you spend a lot of time on google earth or google maps but how, yeah what was that process like uh so the idea let's say it was conceptualized in july like late late june it was conceptualized and then by july was when we decided we were we were going to do it and we started planning it in july so maybe two weeks to fully plan the course from like picking the start and stop to going in Google and finding which of the like three main routes Google recommended we wanted to go with and then exploring that route. So we actually physically drove the route twice and we hit a couple like roadblocks and back back country roads that we couldn't actually run through. And there was one track that was off-road for like 4k. So me and my friend Andrew went back with bikes a weekend later and actually explored what was back there. Um, so it probably took a good two weeks from start to finish to plan the route, make sure that's what we wanted to do. Just out of curiosity, when, when you were when you were plugging that in into Google, did I'm get did you pick that you wanted to like did you pick it as a walking route? Like is that what you asked yes. for a suggestion? Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we we picked it as a walking route. Uh, yeah. yeah, so. Uh, we ended up taking the old number two, uh, the old, old highway from back in the day that took us through like Enfield up through, um, I might butcher this. Um, oh, it's so long ago. Um, up to Churro, but it's, it's like the old back route. Um, it'll come to me in a second, but. Uh, that's all right, man. Yeah. Basically, you took, you took back highways and you had to connect some of them together with some sort of off the beaten path, like dirt road. Was it like four-wheeler type path or something like that to connect some of it together? Or what did that look like? Yeah, it looked like four-wheelers slash like mountain biking kind of kind of roads. Uh, there was a couple times where we did have to run along a highway, which sucked. Um, so all the way from like uh, just when you're entering almost like Bedford-ish area, we had to run a good – 15 kilometers along the highway and the peak it was like peak day it was like 30 degrees that day um so that was like we were fresh but it was like the least pleasant part of the run just because it was so hot and there was so many cars just like blown by it. yeah it's a little uneasy and yeah just kind of hard to get in, into it yeah when, when it's that much traffic around for sure yeah right, so we had two weeks to pull it together when into this process did you tell the anyone in the outside world that this was that this was happening like outside of the the crazy people that were going to to help you with this when when did you let like another friend or someone else know hey i'm going to do this this thing like when did it become real in, in the outside world i'm not sure the exact date cuz i think i mentioned in in passing that I was going to be doing a big run coming up, but I don't think I really elaborated too much. Uh, and then I remember specifically it was two weekends before the run and I went camping with a big group of my friends outside of the city and they were drinking all day and disclaimer, normally I do drink alcohol as well, but I drank sparkling water all day. 
Like I probably, <laughs> it was hot out. I probably drank a 12 pack of sparkling waters, but then somebody eventually noticed and they're like, wait, you're not actually drinking alcohol. I was like, no, I can't drink alcohol. And, they, and then they were like, why can you not drink alcohol? And then I explained to them and then they all started talking to each other. Like, Did you hear what he's doing? And then from that moment onwards, the next day we started posting things to social media. And then that was kind of, and that would have been about 13 days out from the run. Yeah. So you were kind of, you were outed and then you guys were like, all right, it's on. Let's, let's start putting this out into the world. And this kind of gets some traction for, like you said, for your fundraising. So how did you, how did you choose what you wanted to, to fundraise for? Like that's, that was a pretty big component of this once it got rolling for you, right? Yeah, hundred percent. So for me, I I knew it had to be somewhere as local because this run was for Nova Scotia, um, and also I was already volunteering for Big Brothers Big Sisters of Halifax. So I was an in school mentor. I'd go meet with uh, my little once a week, uh, and I did that for probably two months before COVID kicked and the school shut down. Um, so they were my first initial thought. And I knew that they were very responsible with their actual fundraising money they get. They don't have this crazy overhead like some large charities might have. So I reached out to them and asked them if they'd be interested. And they were ecstatic and they were very, very, very helpful. They immediately started doing work behind the scenes. So it was uh, it was an easy fit. All right. So let's set the scene then. We got the fundraising. We got the, we got the map all sorted out. You got the crew, which is, from what I gather, you, your brother was part of your crew too, right? Your brother? Yeah. So, then- so my brother was uh, the medic. Uh, he's a medic in the military, so he's par- paramedic. So he was in charge of keeping me going physically. Um, we had Devin, uh, Devin McDougal. He does a lot of, uh, he runs his own online advertising company and uh, an internet business. And he's very tech savvy guy. So he just was the one who decided that, Hey, you can, you can make this thing big if you'd like to. And he started reaching out to local businesses. He got the vehicle supplied for us, got interviews with two news stations. So he was kind of the, the technical logical driver in the team. And then Andrew was the, he was my, he was my mule. He was my pacer. He was my, he was my go-to guy that I came up with this idea with and we planned it together because we were working together and he was with me on the road the whole time. So he was, he was my man on the ground. All right. So it was one of you. So was, I remember seeing the, um, the news interviews pop up and I thought that was really cool. cool. And I was kind of curious of how that, that came about. So it was one of your friends that, that sort of gave you a little shove in, in that direction and helped you help you get that set up. So how, how did that come, come about? So I initially didn't want to, try and blow it up very big because it was kind of like stressing me out. And I was so focused on trying to like prepare for the run, deload, uh, learn about salt and nutrition. So I don't have GI problems. And like all these things I was hyper-focused on that the idea of yelling it at the world kind of stressed me out. Um, so he, Devin basically offered to take, take it on his plate. And he's like, look, I will do this. I will reach out to them. If they're interested and they have questions for you, can I CC you in on the emails? And can you just tell me your availability if we can get you in? So shout out to Devin. It was all him, but he, he had a contact at CFTV already. So he reached out to them. Uh, and then at global, um, he just reached out. They liked the idea. They, I spoke with Paul and then, uh, so yeah, both parties were, they, they liked what we were trying to do. That's awesome. 
I can completely relate though, because I know sometimes when I'm getting ready for a big event like that, and there's such a high probability of of failure. Like I don't mind chatting about it, like with my close circle, like people that understand me, but putting it out into the the bigger world sometimes where you're getting judgment and questions from people that don't understand what what's going on can be can be difficult 100%. so how how are you dealing with that like leading up to the the big day was that you like you said was that was adding some some stress into what was going on i imagine yeah so initially it was stress and then once once we had everything planned, so even like our our nutrition race day plan, our pace strategy, like the, like all the guys stepped up so heavily that it literally took almost all the weight off me. And all I had to do was focus on showing up the day of with a good attitude, have my process goals that I'm going to focus on, and then just try and enjoy the day. So uh, it's a good way to loop around that. It's like with a coach, whether it's a team, like if you have people around you, it significantly can help with your mental health if you're doing something big and scary because if you're alone you're alone and humans are not meant to be alone yeah yeah that's awesome that you had that solid crew to to rally around you and help take care of a lot of that stuff so basically you didn't have to suffer from a slow and and painful decline even just leading up to race day from decision fatigue because that is a real thing when you have to take so much of this this planning and day-to-day decisions of trying to prepare for this this undertaking you could have been mentally strung out before you even started right (laughs) yeah exactly so when i knew that you just have to show up and do x y and z and then once that was our, once everything was in place, then it's like, okay, now how much are we going to try and fundraise? And it's like, okay, so how are we going to fundraise that? So then we start shooting like little videos, a little behind the scenes here, a little um, question thing here, just trying to, at that point, like fulfill our goal of $2,900. So then the, the shift almost went like, okay, can we fundraise all this before the run starts? So then we can just enjoy the run. So leading up to the the race, was there anything special? Like you said, your crew was helping you out with it a little bit, but how did you devise a plan to keep yourself fueled for this this run? Like you're completely dependent on what you can carry and what your crew has in the support vehicle or what you could grab from stores or whatever along the way. So how did you come up with a plan for this more or less self-supported crew supported adventure outside of a race atmosphere because that's an undertaking on its own too like you need to support yourself 24 plus hours they say this is taking place in august so you need a lot of a lot of hydration as well because it is it's hot out here in august right (laughs) yeah yeah 100 yeah yeah. um so we started with uh, I had a tool that you actually, you recommended it to me, but, uh, training essentials for ultra marathons. I actually saw you pull that out in the, in the documentary video. And I was like, yes, <laughs> you got the book. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I use that to help with my sodium guidelines and with my rough carb guidelines and also like nailing down like my bullseye food plan. 
Um, so for anyone who didn't read this book, uh, first of all, if you're interested in ultra marathons, go get this book, uh, training essentials for ultra marathons, yeah. uh, by who's, by who's Jason it by again? Coop. Yeah. Jason Coop. One, yeah. So really good. One read. of the leading like, um, top endurance ultra running coaches out there, out there today. Yeah. Definitely worth a read for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was like my blueprint. And then with that, we kind of gave it our own little tiny spinoff, but we devised like a food plan for like foods I will enjoy that I can eat most of the time, sometimes almost never. And then like junk food, basically that can get down in an emergency. Um, then we packed like more clothes than we thought we would need for all the clothing changes, sock changes, medical kit for blisters. Um, so then we just kind of dialed in deeper and deeper on that to, to f- finish all the small details, I guess yeah. you could say. So leading up to the start, what did you and your crew sort of foresee as your biggest obstacles to overcome to make this happen? Uh, keeping a clear system in place with like uh, focusing on our process goals as opposed to our uh, outcome goals. So like things like keeping me in a good mood. So like they did an amazing job that uh, I think in the total 151 or whatever I covered, uh, I think I ran alone for maybe a third to a quarter of that max. Like there was a lot of, t- maybe, maybe a third of that I ran alone, but there was a lot of people that would come out and run with me that weren't even runners, but just like to keep my spirits high. Um, I was taking sodium pills when it was hot, a couple an hour, uh, when it was not so hot, at least one an hour. I had timers all synced to my phone for my food, my salt. Um, Andrew would check on me on the bike every like 10 minutes. Hey, did you finish your water? your half liter bottle or your full liter yet. Like, so I had other people's brain power doing the work for me. And I think that's not the brain, not the other people's brain power part, but just the, it's one of the biggest things I try and preach as, as a running coach is the more you can shift your focus away from the outcome and put it towards the action that you need to take in order to achieve that outcome the higher level of success, like higher, higher your chances of success are going to be. And that sounds exactly what your game plan was all about. A hundred percent. And also enjoying it too, right? Like family came out, some of the aid stations, we had planned 11 aid stations. Some of them were like a small party, Rick. Like we had like 40 people there, people that hadn't seen each other in a while were like, obviously like somewhat socially distanced and stuff, but like still like it was, it was nice coming into that and having, all these warm smiles, all these delicious food. So it, uh, it all, it almost became at points easy to continue because there was, everything was done for me. I just had to go left, right, left, yeah. right. And then you had these, like you said, aid stations that your crew had set up, but you knew where they were coming up. You, you knew what kilometer they were coming up. So even though you're running with somebody most of the time, you knew that there was going to be this like pseudo party of friends and surprise appearances from who knows who at whatever hour of the day. So you had something to look forward to, right? So it wasn't, wasn't about like you had the port peak in the back of your mind, but I'm guessing like it was more trying to make it to that next like party aid station spot instead of thinking too, too far down the line. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're hurting and you're leaving an aid station. You're not thinking I need to run another 90 K you're thinking I need to run 
11 kilometers till I get to Daddy Green's Pizzeria <laughs> and I'm going to see all my friends and family yeah. there. And then after that, I'm going to get to Fisher Automotive. And then like, and we had driven it a couple of times and I'd been to all these places. So mentally I could like, I could visualize getting there. So then it's like, okay, 11 K, uh, I need to take a salt pill every 15 minutes. I'm going to eat every 30. Uh, and then you just like, you kind of chop it down in these smaller and smaller little things to make it digestible. Yeah. I know from my own experience, like even when you're doing that, sometimes your mind will wander sometimes to that ominous big goal that's, you know, out there. And what did you find that that happened to you? Like, I know like you were, you were dialed in aid station, aid station, focusing on, on your action steps that you needed to take to get there. But were there, were there moments like where your where your head drifted and you thought, holy crap, like I'm I don't know a marathon into this thing and what do I get myself into or a hundred percent. So especially like when I was in Bedford and when I hit that forty three kilometer mark, it kind of did something to my head a little bit because I knew every kilometer after that was unknown territory for my running career yeah everything everything after so that marathon mark is unknown and you had it was all a pb well over a hundred more kilometers plus to go beyond that. that that is just crazy to even think about right like that's just yeah yeah so that would be the like the ominous dark cloud that's kind of looming over your day it's like i think i'm gonna get there because you know back to the action goals but you don't know because you've never done it. So do you have any strategies in place like before you started to to deal with that? Like when your mind's sort of started to go dark on you and you started focusing a bit more on that outcome, that 170 plus kilometers that you needed to cover and you started to get overwhelmed with what's going on out there. How did you sort of refocus, recenter back on the task at hand and focus on the action that you needed to do to keep moving forward? Um, I think it's going back to some of your, like, I guess you're like, you could call them like core beliefs for why you're doing such a thing. So for, for myself, it was like, you know, obviously the, can I do a hundred miler, but then also like I had, even in the Ironman, I had never hit like my, the wall or like the pain cave people talk about. Like, I'm not sure you've probably hit it yourself. You've done a hundred miles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I was almost like looking for the darkness, if it makes sense. Like I, I, I heard so much about it and all of my biggest um, role models, most of them have been there at one point or the other. So I was kind of looking for it. I like that. So you kind of put out a welcome mat for the impending darkness and saying, I know you're coming. I welcome you. And this is why I'm out here doing this. So I get a chance to meet you. Like that's a hundred percent. Yeah. That's awesome. Some people might not understand (laughs) that, but that's totally the attitude that, that I take like going into these big endeavors is you're out there to learn about yourself and to experience it. Sure. It would be a great day if you didn't have to deal with it, but, but you're out there to find out what you're made of yeah like if i if i want a nice pleasant like enjoyable run i'll i'll go for a leisurely run from my house to point pleasant park smell the birds see see the trees and then 
come home on a light pace and then have like a smoothie. Like you don't sign up for 24 hours plus plus uh, thinking that it's always going to be a rainbow in the sky. So circle back. So it's the morning of, um, did you get much sleep the night before? Like, were you nervous going into this or was this just, I'm going to do this thing and it's, it's dialed in and let, like, how are you feeling morning of? Uh, I, I was nervous. I was definitely nervous. Uh, just cause like, you know, it's like any like race day you can, you can relate like just your nerves of like the second, like the whistle goes or whatever, or the or horn you're good. But, um, the night before I, I think I slept. Okay. I, I tried staying up a little bit cause my brother was at my house and they were playing like, he was playing call of duty with some of my close friends. So I tried going in there and like talking to them and they were all like kind of kicked me out and they were like, no, go to bed. You're not allowed to be out here with us. Um, but I got probably seven hours sleep, uh, got up early. Uh, the videographers were getting there 15 minutes after I woke up. So I kind of had like 15 minutes to go sit on my balcony and be alone. And then it was like, okay, game time. Double check all your bags. So I am going to dig into that a bit more later. But aside from the fact that you're you're running this thing, I guess one of your friends decided that they were going to make a, a documentary about this. So that's another sort of added layer of external pressure on this, maybe depending on how, how you view it. Was that in your mind at all? Like when you're sitting there in, in Peggy's Cove or are you just focused on the task at hand? No, I was, I, I, it didn't really change a whole lot. It was the task game. Mostly. I was, if anything, excited because I thought in my head it was a 50-50 chance, failure, not failure. So I said, worst case scenario, I got game film where I can watch how it went wrong. Best case scenario, I complete this thing. And for the rest of my life, and when I'm future and I'm old and I'm gray, I can show my children or their grandchildren, like what this crazy, crazy 12 minutes of my life or whatever it ended up being. So it was, it was icing on the cake and I was, I'm eternally grateful that those guys came out and were able to shot it. Shout out Ilian Farrow, Ben, Ilya. They're, they're the guys. That's awesome, man. I think, I think you're actually, I think it's amazing that you actually have that, that documented and you're able to go back and, and relive that. Cause I can, uh, I can attest as sometimes your perception of reality and what was actually taking place when you're under undertaking something like that isn't exactly <laughs> what what's happened no no the first time I watched it there were so many things I had forgotten or I looked different than I thought they were all right so we started Peggy's Cove what time did this thing all take place like what time did you start out at we started running at 9 a.m. in the morning. Was that how did you pick that time? Is just random time or? Um, well, it was, fr- it was on a Friday we started, so I wanted to, most people to be at work because I knew we were going to have to run through Bedford. Um, and two, I wanted to run through the dark and have sunrise to look forward to for the last few hours because I had never done exercise through the dark like that like even in the iron man i i finished right before the sun was like setting so i still had probably like 45 minutes of sunlight left so i had never done the darkness even for a practice run like never had done it through the darkness so i wanted the sunrise to like help me rise like a phoenix or you know give me new life i guess you could say like i needed that to look forward to so is that something that you were you were worried about going into this were you worried about what it was going to be like to to run 
through the night? Um, probably not as worried as I should have been because it ended up being extremely cold, which I didn't anticipate in Nova Scotia in August. Um, more than anything, it was like, like we said before, like I was kind of looking for that dark place and I didn't think it was going to come during the day, even though it's going to be hard. I was pretty sure it was going to be when like most of the people were gone. I was out there alone, just me and my head kind of thing. So it's, it's almost like if there's a main card of a boxing fight, that's when like the, that's when the main bout was going to go down. So it was like, it's almost like I was just trying to get there. Um, so when did it get hard? Like when, when did, if you look back on it and there's always that sort of honeymoon phase in the beginning where, where you're starting out, sometimes you start out right in the suffer fest, but most of the time you start out and things are pretty good. But at what point, or can you remember when you started thinking, all right, that it's on now, this is real, this is hard? Like, um, like it's probably somewhere after the first marathon. So the first marathon, I felt great. And it's actually the only time I've ever run a full marathon, not in a triathlon. So it was like, it was kind of like a PB thing too, which was kind of cool. But Somewhere in between the second aid station, which was at Tim Hortons in Bedford, to the third one, which was the Waverly Fire Station, it was, I believe I got to Waverly around 5, 30, 6 o'clock. So it was the hottest part of the day. I was dehydrated. I was a little tired. And I started getting shin splints. So from 43 kilometers onwards, I was aware that I was no longer just going for a run. This was like you're in uncharted waters, buddy. So you better, you better get ready. Okay. At which point were, were there points along the way? Like after that, like, did you start to doubt like what you were taking on or. Um, I don't know if I'd say doubt, but I know that, my mind was like really like the best way I can describe it was doing like swim intervals training for try uh, for the triathlon. Like that was the hardest thing I think I've ever done. So this getting into daddy greens aid station, which was that like the physical halfway point in the run, it was like 90 kilometers or 89. That point leaving that aid station was like, it was hard, Rick. I'd already run double the distance I'd ever done. We sun was setting. That's when we lost sunlight. I was changing into my night clothes, putting my headlamp on. And then I knew I had to go out and do that all one more time with like some, some slightly tender legs. Was your mind ever trying to tell you that, that you had done enough or were you still embracing? Like, did you still have that welcome mat out for the, for the darkness? Like, how are you feeling at that point? No, no, my mind was hundred percent looking for the darkness. Even later when my body failed me, that's one thing I, quite happy about that my brain didn't lose focus of the task at hand maybe like in little spells but like you said like your perception of that's kind of off but on the overarching scheme um it the guiding light was always there and i i think i kept pretty positive about that goal and at, at no point did i think oh i should quit i've done enough it was always just like just get that next get to that next aid station just left foot get to that next telephone pole it was always forward 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 so when did you come to terms with 
I guess things were starting to to fall apart. Like, you know, we you kind of mentioned earlier that that you made it 150 plus kilometers. You didn't quite make the entire entire distance. At what point did you realize like things were starting to unravel? Like, uh, probably somewhere past the 100 kilometer mark. So. Uh, I'm trying to think here, roughly 124 kilometers in or so. That was the second last aid station I made it to on my own two feet. And there I remember sitting down and like, I could no longer, you know, like, you know, when you bend your foot, like you can point your toes forward, point the back, that kind of thing. I no longer had any of that range of motion in my ankles and like my whole, from the bottom of my foot to my knee was just like pins and needles. So it was like my 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 mind was still game for it because it's like oh here we are we're in the darkness but my body physically every step I took was like this is not good we should stop like it's like every single step and like it's like each time you stop to like eat a salt pill then trying to restart jogging would take me like like 10 steps to get back to speed like I was like an old car trying to start so that's when I knew that And that mental battle, it could be so tiring, right? Like you say, every step is a battle. Your body's telling you not to move forward anymore, but you're like, I'm going to keep going. It's okay, body. We're going to do this thing. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. It was like, come on, one more steps. We're almost there. So how are you trying to troubleshoot this along the way? Like you said, around 120K was when things were starting to go off the rails. And when you're doing an ultra distance event, I can attest and for anybody listening that the time elapsed from 120K to let's say around 155, 156K, whatever it ended up being, that is not a short amount of time and by any means. Like there are many, many hours that elapse there. How did you deal with that uh, in that period of time in order to keep moving forward and i'm sure in your head you're thinking that you can rally like you can fix this like what what were you trying to do to keep moving forward um so on the physical level we had uh like a foam roller and obviously a medic and stuff so they were like literally like trying to roll my legs out and they were popping the blisters repairing my feet um getting me fresh layers of clothes to keep me warm because my body at that point was like a radiator um so the physical level foam rolling blister popping mostly and then on the psychological level it was just one taking my mind off the pain so focusing on other things so like i was running with people by this point so it was like like talking to them or even i wasn't so talkative at the time but they would talk to me and i'd listen i'd nod or grunt like answers to them so trying to focus on something external and then at one point i even had a I had an audio book in, uh, you would know it, uh, David Goggins can't hurt me. So it's pretty easy to go forward with. You have David. Very Goggins appropriate here. book for, for what you were experiencing at that point in time. And that's actually yeah. something else that you brought up there, which I found really helpful too. in one of my hundred milers and actually both of them that I've taken on is that having more than, than one person there with you, or even 
if they're able to carry on a conversation without you talking back, does having that conversation taking place where you can listen to it is a very nice distraction. And even though you're not participating in it, like I don't think that they fully understand how helpful that is. And you're like, mental ability to keep putting one foot in front of the other just the fact they're there and they're just talking (laughs) yeah 100 percent. shout out to matt he talked for like almost two hours to himself but with me i'd like give him a grunter and the first time i met him too so he's like he he definitely thought i was a mute for the first two hours so 156 kn if You've watched the the YouTube documentary. If you haven't, this is probably where Liam's crew has gone out and grabbed him some crutches. He's still gets a couple kilometers in. I don't remember how many you got in on on crutches, but you got four four kilometers in on on crutches. And I think it's awesome that you were able to tag the tag the crew in i know it must have not have been an easy easy decision to admit to yourself that that you had actually reached your your physical limit and you weren't going to be able to do it but your your crew didn't let the mission die they actually they ran the rest of the the run which is pretty amazing yeah a hundred percent so to give some backstory so i'd like to 148 kilometer mark i was running down like the most gradual unscary unassuming hill in a suburb in churro outside of churro and just on the way down i just felt this like i don't even know how to describe it like this deep burn and pull on the inside of my right leg like near my knee um and i thought it was nothing because i'm like you would resonate with this rick but like when you're running this long your body's constantly trying to reason like oh your right quad oh it's definitely oh you should stop now that's going to be injured or then suddenly it's your left foot and then it just like it bounces around so there's, much yeah there's so many little alarm bells going off all the time that you just yeah yeah you just tune them out right because everything's hurting at one point or another and your brain's saying oh th- this could be it this could be a game ender and then it goes yeah. away so yeah yeah check engine light <laughs> on check your all these things so it's like for me, it's like, oh, this is just another another way my body's trying to reason with me. So, like, I disregarded it, kept going a little bit, and then another, like, really, really aggressive, dark, pull, burn kind of feeling. And then I told the guys, I was like, okay, we need to stop for a second. So I tried, like, you know, kind of shaking it out, and then tried going again, and then it was like, like, get, barely get weight on that right leg. And then I was like, oh, what, what's going on here? So then that's when eventually I was like, guys, I need to sit down for a second. I can't put weight on my right leg. And then we took some anti-inflammatories, Tylenol. I iced it. I put hot and cold on it, waited 30 minutes, tried again, got like 20 feet, sat back down. And that was like, that was the hardest part of the day was sitting there. And like, by one point, Rick, there was probably 25 people that congregated around me that were from the aid station that heard I was down. And they were around me. And to my right, I have my dad, my mom, my family, like, Liam, you've done so much. You're like, incredible. You can stop. Like, you did the job. You, we were at, like, $10,000 raise. So, like, mission accomplished. Pull the plug. But then on the left side, I have the boys and Matt specifically, who's like, can I swear on this podcast? Uh, let's, 
let's try not to, I guess. <laughs> okay. So he basically said, nah, Liam, be yeah. that you have to keep going. Like, you like, even if we need, it doesn't matter. If you need, need crutches, you got to keep going, dude. Come on. You didn't come this far not to finish it. And then, so it's like the angel devil kind Which of thing. Which is, you, you need that in, in your corner, yeah. like, cause things do go dark and you can't have people in the corner that are giving you an easy out. Like you need to have those enablers no. on your crew for sure. A hundred percent, a positive enabler. So eventually it was like, okay, get some crutches. Let's go crutches until it was like the anticipation was until the knee, like, you know, kind of calms down. We'll go crutches for a little while and then hopefully we can keep going. Um, so yeah, then, yeah, obviously four kilometers took about two plus hours on crutches. It was, uh, by the end of it, my hands were covered in blisters, my lats, the side of my back were all blistered. And then it was like, I couldn't even, I couldn't escape the weight from my leg and my left leg was like destroyed. And now my hands and my lats were blistered and we had been elapsed for like 28 hours and eventually all this, it was light. It was a full new day in Truro. It was busy. So I, eventually we said, all right, we need to, the boys need to finish this. So just definitely pulled out all the stops. You went until the, the body failed. It sounds like it was sheer muscle failure. Just body just could not go on anymore. So you I say you you did what you you set out to do for sure but it couldn't be easy to walk away right no especially when in your head 100 miles was the goal originally you don't aim to do a 100 miler and then get i don't know how many miles 151 is maybe like 93 or something they get 93 and it'd be like, oh, I did it. No worries. Like, no, it's like you want those last six, seven miles. But then I was just kind of in my head, I had to weigh the pros and the cons of, okay, can I come back next year and actually train properly for this and, and accomplish it next year and save myself? Or do I completely destroy myself, David Goggins style at San Diego one day and then rebuild myself after with broken legs, all these things. And I just, I guess I still made a decision there where I could have finished it, but I didn't. I took the out and I was like, okay, save yourself for another day. Uh, I don't think that anybody is going to question, like, when you're not going to go another 20 kilometers on, on crutches, not being able to put weight on a leg at that point in time. I don't think that anyone's going to question that that decision or your commitment to the, the cause at that point. <laughs> oh. So that's awesome, man. Congratulations. What a tale. And I guess I'm keeping you on here almost, we're going on an hour, hour and a half now. Uh, so we'll try and wrap things up here relatively quickly. Um, so it's a couple of questions. After everything you experienced going through that run and the darkness that you faced and ultimately coming up a little short of the goal, which is all a part of taking on something that big, which is, I think that's something yeah. that a lot of people on the outside don't understand sometimes too, about it's okay to come up short as long as you do do your best, because that means that you were actually taking on something that truly tested your abilities and pushed you to your limits. Um, 
But do you think that that was, was worth it? Like, is that something that you want to, to continue on? Like, is that you want to keep pushing those boundaries? Like, do you think that that whole undertaking and the planning and involving all of those support crew, having everybody come out, was that worth it? Yeah, 100%. Zero, zero percent not worth it. Like, just all the things that happen and all the things you can learn from that experience. And you're right, like, falling short on something like that, it's like, it's if I can get that close off one month of planning preparation and then raise that much money in one week, it makes me think, like, what happens if, what happens if we were smart about it and we planned far ahead? And how could we do it bigger? What could we do different? So it's like, I view it almost as like, it's like a stepping stone. So it's like the Iron Man was here and then that was here. And then you build off that and then you can take that newfound knowledge and run with it. And I think 150%, it was worth it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what do you think was your biggest lesson like that you can take away from that experience moving forward? Um, I guess just for your, day-to-day life and for your next undertaking whatever that's going to be because i'm sensing there's still a fire out there to to keep taking on something a little bigger like especially when when races come back but so what, what are you going to take away from this like what have you learned uh so there's to answer the first question about what like my biggest takeaway was i would say it's that you're only as good as your team so surround yourself with people that can make you better. And also things are never going to go completely as planned, but as long as you go in with a good attitude and you have the small steps you can do to better, I guess, impose themselves on the odds of actually achieving that, then you've done everything you can. Then you can, whether you fail or you succeed, you can smile at the end if you've done everything uh, within your power. And I think that's so important for athletes in general to to understand. So I think a lot of people put way too much pressure on themselves about the the outcome, but they don't actually understand what they need to do, what's what the action they need to take in order to achieve the thing that they want. So I think that's exactly what you said right there. Yeah. Do you have anything in the works? Are you, ha- are you dreaming? Are you dreaming big? Is there anything on the radar coming up for twenty twenty one? Yeah, like I definitely want to do another big, big challenge like that. Like I, I don't know if it'll necessarily be something in the form of like let's say a hundred miler. I guess it depends. So to give feet um, some knowledge into what's going on right now, like the day of the run, my right leg is what eventually is succeeded in stopping me. But now for the last three months, I've, I've been kind of trying to work through a, a, an injury in my left leg. So I think it's going to involve something uh, with swimming would be the thing I'd hint at because I can start training swimming soon. Um, so maybe something like a swim, a swim run or a swim bike run, um, but probably a long distance swim, possibly the big swim, even if you've ever heard of that. I, I haven't. What, what's, what's the big, what's the big swim? Um, it's a charity swim they run every year and you swim from 
uh, Nova Scotia to New Brunswick and then New Brunswick to PEI. Oh, wow. And you, you, and you can do it either over the course of two days and you can do both, or you can just do one of the two swims. But the first one's about 8K, I believe. And the second one's about uh, 16K or 18K or something. That's huge, man. <laughs> That's awesome. So possibly something like that, but it's early days. It's only, it's only Which October. Is, you, you need that in, in your corner, like, cause things do go dark and you can't have people in the corner that are giving you an easy out. Like you need to have those into yeah. to chat with. Um, if people are interested in finding out more about you, um, where can they get uh, you just Social media. So all my social medias are Liam, L-I-A-M, uh, McVernick. Uh, I'll spell that one. M-C-V-A-R-N-O-C-K. Uh, I'm probably most active on Instagram. Awesome, man. And I'll make sure we put a link to the Big Run documentary in, in the notes for the show. So anyone that's interested can go and check that out because your friends did a pretty awesome job. Thank you very much. Together, so people should definitely uh, go and check I, that I appreciate out. The, uh, the platform, Rick. And, you know, I, I, I'm excited to come on here and discuss the future adventures we both go through. And hopefully at some point we can go for that trail and we've always talked about it. Yeah, we definitely got to do that because we might be able to do that sooner rather than later now. But I know, I know, yeah, we had we had planned to do that and things never materialized before the, like you said, the, <laughs> the world ended. So we definitely need to make, we definitely yeah, need to 100%. make time for that for uh, sure. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So what did you guys think? That was a pretty incredible story, right? I think I really enjoyed that conversation with Liam. If you enjoyed the show and you want to show your support, the best thing that you can do is subscribe and leave a review. If you've already done that, then it would mean so much to me if you share this episode with your friends on social media. I love seeing posts or getting tagged in people's stories. It's really awesome. I really need your help to grow the show in order to make this sustainable so I can keep bringing you conversations with real runners in our community who are out there doing amazing things. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time.